And we'll be in verse 26 and down through verse number 31. This is the fourth of five admonitions in the book of Hebrews. Look at verse 26. It says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the, uh, the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under a foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewithal he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done uh, despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The title of the Bible study is this, Beware of Apostasy. Beware of Apostasy. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand um, the truths of Scripture. If there is someone in the room this evening that is not saved, uh, Lord, may they get that dealt with. May they not worry about opinion uh, of others. May they not worry about their reputation. Lord, may they just see their need of their eternal soul being saved. And may they deal with that. And Lord, for those of us here that are saved, which I believe to be most of us, help us, Lord, to learn this evening uh, how to identify apostasy and how to steer clear from it. And Lord, uh, when apostasy is found in the church or folks leave the church because of apostate reasons, Lord, help us not to be miffed or, uh, Lord, uh, disenchanted or quick to push church to the side. But Lord, help us to just fix our eyes on you and do what's right. Help us to know, Lord, that the closer we get back to get to your coming, the more apostasy there will be. And so, Lord, help us to be uh, lovers of you and lovers of your word. And help your word to resonate in our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. At this point in Scripture, Paul, or I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know that for certain. But the author of Hebrews, God writing through the author of a person, has made it very clear to these Jews, these Hebrew people, um, that Jesus is just flat better. He's better than every tenet of their Judaism faith, and that they need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, who came and lived and died. No, he did not bring uh, a revolution from an earthly standpoint. Uh, he'll do that one day, he, but he did do it from an eternal standpoint. He came to die on a cross. The king was born to die, uh, and through his death, we now have life. We're given freedom, and uh, Jesus was better than all the institutions. And at this point um, uh, in, in the teaching, he has covered all of them. He's covered the, the messengers of the prophets and the angels. He's covered Moses. He's gone in and he's talked about the priesthood, and he's talked about the tabernacle. He's talked about the priests, and he's gone through every tenet of their faith and uh, what they're used to, their rituals, their sacrifices. And he has showed how that Jesus... Jesus is better than all these things, and all these things were given to them to be a gigantic arrow pointing to Christ. Now he gets to them and he says, some of you, some of you that will hear this, you are pretending as though you believe in Jesus, 
but you've not yet let go of Judaism. You are still hiding in the shadows and holding on to a faith that is dead. And you haven't believed in Jesus. You've given lip service to it, but you've not done it. So the admonition for them here is, do not be an apostate. Don't play the game that you know the truth, but yet you've not believed the truth. Look back at verse 26. It says, therefore, uh, and this verse has tripped up a lot of Christians. Let's just look at it again here. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the, look at that, let's read those next few words together. Knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Uh, boy, some folks will say, well, this verse teaches that you can lose your salvation. And I'd say, no, it doesn't. This is the knowledge of the truth. Let's look back at the outline that we've covered so far. Number one, we looked at the components of apostasy. The components of apostasy. We said letter A, uh, knowledge of the truth. And letter B, rejection of the truth. Knowledge of the truth, rejection of the truth. This is a person who full well understands the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They know it inside and out, upside and down. They can, uh, uh, they can explain it themselves. They have got it down. In fact, uh, of the two words in the Greek that are used for knowledge or knowing something, this is the one chosen. This is the Greek word chosen for a deep, full, rich understanding. This is a person who knows the truth in their head, but has not believed the truth with their heart. And then it says that they reject the truth. They push it away. They will not believe it. Now, they've convinced everyone else that they have. They've walked under the shadow of the cross, and they have done everything but kneel at the cross, and they want everyone else to believe that they have knelt. Boy, they'll play the part, they'll look the part, they'll talk the part, they'll act the part, they'll learn the lingo, they learn how to dress, they learn how to come to church every week, they learn how to carry their Bible, they know when the pastor says to turn to some obscure passage how to get there. Boy, they got it down. Uh, there, are, there are people that are deacons in Baptist churches that are apostates. There are Sunday school or life group teachers in churches that are apostates. I believe there are pastors in churches that are apostates. There are pastors' wives who are playing a game and they're not saved. Deacons' wives, church members' wives. There are little old ladies that have been sitting on church pews in a Baptist church for 30, 40, 50 years. And they're not saved. They're apostates. They know it up here. They've never actually believed here. They can talk the talk, but they they never actually have walked the walk. They are apostates. Uh, you think of the ultimate or maybe the, rather the epitome of an apostate in the Bible. It would be the person of Judas Iscariot. He walked with truth for three plus years. He, he, didn't, just, he didn't just hear the gospel in passing. He didn't just hear the gospel a few times. He walked with the man who healed lepers. He, he, he saw blind people get their sight back. He saw Lazarus raise from the dead. But he never actually believed. Boy, he heard every sermon Jesus ever preached. He heard the Prince of Peace preach the message of peace. He heard the truth explain the truth. He heard the resurrection and the life tell others how they could live out the resurrection and the like. But he, he knew it, but he never believed it. And so as you read Hebrews 10, 26-31, keep in mind the person of Judas. Boy, what a fiery punishment he would experience. Notice number two, the consequences of apostasy. 
the consequences of apostasy. Below that, we looked at letter A. In the Old Testament, rejection of government brought death. Look, look with me, uh, if you will, at verse number 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So, uh, if you despise Moses' law and you were caught by two or three people who were willing to stand there and their stories all lined up and they testified against you, then you were taken out and you were stoned. So what was the, what was the punishment for breaking Moses' law? Well, it was death. And the Bible uh, says here in, in Hebrews 10, it says, How much worse is it not to trample on Moses' law, but to trample on Jesus' blood? It's one thing to reject the law of Moses as a, as a Jew living within the system where that law is permanent and pertinent. But how much worse is it to know what Jesus did for you and to trample the blood of Christ? Notice letter B, New Testament, rejection of grace brought damnation. So you could reject Moses' law, Moses' government, and that brought death, but to reject God's grace, which that's what the death of Christ is. It is grace. It, it, it is God wanting to enrich us in a way... That is, that is inexplicable. You can't put words. You can't adequately describe what God is offering us. You can't. I don't fully get, and you don't fully get, what it is that we're in line to receive when we get to heaven. We don't understand the inheritance that the testator has, has waiting for us when we get to heaven. Being saved and getting out of hell, it's just the bare bones beginning minimum. We're going to step into heaven and listen, the Bible doesn't even describe to us all that much about heaven. And I have a couple of theories on that. One of them is if God painted a true picture of what heaven was like, there'd be a lot of people saying, well, then why am I alive? I, I, why am I here? Boy, if that's what's waiting for me. And so the Lord uh, uh, dangles a few carrots out in front of us, but he, he just doesn't tell us a whole lot. Now, you hear the story of God's grace. You hear about the death of Christ on the cross, and you know it inside and out, and you walk up to that, and you never receive it, you reject that, you bring upon your own soul damnation. Look at verse number 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. That word devour is an intense word. It carries with it the idea of God's wrath just being opened full throttle and dropped down on someone and utterly destroying them. You're going to know my son died for you on the cross that he became your sin, you're going to know that he died on your behalf, and you're going to thumb your nose at it? Well, then let me open up my wrath and devour you. Look at verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And God, uh, the Lord, shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? The Bible tells us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. Uh, uh, there are people who have a hard time with the idea of hell. There are people that have a hard time that God would send someone to hell. Listen, if you understand how much, one, God hates sin, and two, God hates when someone rejects his son, boy, you full understand why there's a hell. You understand why God sends folks there. Now, be clear, God did not make hell for human beings. God made hell for the devil and his angels, 
Hell was created to torment uh, beings, celestial beings that uh, are, are above us and, 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 and greater than us. And God created hell to punish them. But God says, if you're going to reject my son and you full well knew what Jesus did, we're not talking about someone who was gospel ignorant, as Pastor Morales explained. We're talking about someone who full well knew the gospel, had full well understanding of it, and walked up to it and said, nah, I'm good. I, I, I'd rather not. I, I don't really want that. Uh, and how much worse is it to know and then pretend that you're saved and, and not be saved? Oh, wow. Now you're going into church and you're convincing people who are children of God that you are one when you're really not. Oh, you are taking it even to another level. What a problem. What a problem. Let's jump back into the outline this evening and I'm going to... Uh, I dive a little bit deeper into this idea of apostasy. We'll leave, uh, we'll leave an expository type study and more look at a topical study on the idea of apostasy with the rest of the Bible study here. Notice number three, the causes of apostasy. Turn with me over, if you will, and we're going to be mostly in Matthew. Uh, we'll be in Hebrews 2 uh, under this point, but mostly in Matthew. I try to keep it all in one book for simplicity's sake. But Matthew chapter 13, turn over there with me, if you would, and uh, look with me. At verse number 25. Back up with me to verse number 24. And uh, another parable put he forth uh, unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, and then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will uh, say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. We're, we're familiar with this parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, some things I want to say about this uh, uh, before we get into the subpoints here is that you and I cannot tell the difference between a wheat and a tare. We cannot tell. You cannot look at someone and make a determination whether their Christianity is authentic or not. You cannot look at someone who does not attend church but claims to be a Christian and say, oh, I don't believe they're saved. That is for God to decide at a judgment one day. He'll know the difference between the wheat and the tares. You and I can look. We can try to fruit inspect. I suggest that you not try that. I suggest that you not do that. Uh, by the way, just because someone is not walking the walk does not mean they're not saved. There are people in the world who are saved but backslidden. And you and I can't tell the difference between someone who is backslidden and who is apostate. Uh, if you and I were uh, uh, there with Lot or uh, were able to go in and see Lot as he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and see the debauchery around him and how aloof he was and cold he was to it and then see how hard it was for him to leave Sodom and Gomorrah and how they had to drag him, him and his wife and two daughters out by the hand and then see his wife get turned to salt. I was just reading this in my devotions a couple of days ago. So, uh, uh, Lot slept with his own daughters. Now he was fooled and deceived into it, but he slept with his own daughters because he was 
willing to get himself drunk. He allowed his daughters to get him drunk. Nobody would look at Lot and say, that man is saved. In fact, you and I would look at him and say, that man can't possibly save, but be saved. But the New Testament says that he was righteous Lot. You know why he was righteous? Not because of his behavior, but because at some point in Lot's life, he had gotten saved. And then you see this downward spiral of being backslidden. You and I can't look at Lot and Judas, and you and I can't tell whether someone is an apostate like Judas or backslidden like Lot. But I tell you what we can do is we can pray for him. We can pray for him. We can pray for both. And we can pray a prayer of sincerity and say, Lord, if they're lost, help them to get saved. Lord, if they're saved and backslidden, help them to come back to you. Here's, here's the issue. The issue with people who are, quote-unquote, fruit inspectors, the issue isn't um, uh, uh, their... They're um, uh, looking to see if the person's saved or lost. The issue is their own pharisaical attitude. Well, I just don't think that. Per- How could they be saved and, and behave like that? Well, who made you God? Um, did you know arrogancy is just as much of a sin as drinking a beer? Now, they may have different earthly consequences, but arrogancy is a sin. And these people who sit on their own little self-righteous thrones and proclaim other people as they can't possibly be saved. Hey, you better get off your own self-righteous throne, buddy. You better be careful. You better be careful. Now, if you're looking at someone and say, boy, I, I just don't know. I'm not seeing evidence and I just don't think they're saved. And that's your heartbeat because you're concerned with them. Boy, that's totally different. But let's, let's realize that there are wheat and there are tares. And from the eyeball, naked eyeball standpoint, they both appear to be exactly the same. The other thing I want to point out before we jump into the subpoints is that God wants us to understand that there are phonies amongst us. There are. I believe that in every church I've ever been a part of, including this one, there are people who walk the walk and talk the talk real well, but they are phony. They are phony. Do you ever wonder why we seem to just go through so many people at White Oak Baptist Church? They come and they go and they come and they go. Almost like there's a revolving door. Visitors attend, they're here for a few months, and you never see them again. Now, not all of them are apostate, but I believe a lot of people come in, they're going through a rough time in their life, they get what they need to get by, they treat church as though it's a crutch to get them by. Once they seem to get down the road a little bit better, see you later, Lord. I don't need church anymore. And uh, And listen, then there are people who come and they sit on a pew and they're there every week, but they're not saved either. And one day we're going to get to heaven and we are going to be shocked at who gets in and who doesn't. We're going to be shocked. If the rapture were to happen tonight, how many of you would be left sitting in the chair you're sitting in right now? I hope not. I hope none of you. I hope there would be a pile of clothes for every one of us here. We get a new body in heaven. I hope you wouldn't be sitting here staring at a bunch of empty clothes. Well, you better make sure you got that right. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't say things like this to make anyone guess, second guess their salvation. Uh, doubt is something that's of the devil, not of the Lord. If you were lost, though, the way you'll know that is the Spirit of God will be pricking you on the inside, saying, "You know, you're not. Get this thing settled. Get this thing settled." Causes of uh, apostasy. Notice letter A: persecution. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and look at verse number 
Bible says there, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, And then shall uh, uh, many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. What's going to happen is there's going to become a great persecution to the church. Let me say it this way. There already is a great persecution on the church in other parts of the world. It just hasn't come to America yet. Unfortunately, there are areas in the world where Christians are getting their head chopped off. Churches have to operate in an underground manner. You carefully and randomly slip into someone's house for a Bible study, a cell group Bible study. The government finds out about it. They'll imprison you and put you in a, uh, a work camp, treat you like less than human, or they'll just flat out kill you. Persecution is not something I desire, but persecution is something that purges and cleanses. You see, because when persecution comes to a country, to its Christians... Those who are truly saved become more devout. And those that are truly lost, you never see them again. When persecution comes, an apostate's colors are truly revealed. As they were never saved to begin with. And then verse 10 says that they turn on each other. They turn on each other. Look back at verse 10 in Matthew 24. And then shall many be offended. Who are these? These are those that were never saved. And shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. Someone who you love and care for dearly and they're an apostate, persecution comes and next thing you know they're turning you into the government for your faith. Persecution. Notice letter B, persuasion. Persuasion. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 15. By the way, this, this uh, message that Jesus preaches in these two passages we're going to look at uh, is uh, repeated by Paul and John and Peter in the uh, epistles. Look at verse 15. Be aware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look like sheep, but they're really wolves. They're false teachers, false prophets. Back in Matthew chapter 24... Uh, where we were just a moment ago, uh, in verse number 11, it says this. It says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Deceive many. Now, uh, I want us to step away from White Oak Baptist Church for a moment and just look at the religious landscape as a whole in our country. Has this not happened? Churches that once preached the truth are now teaching and preaching doctrines that are just way out in left field and don't line up with the Bible. They're wrong. They're out of bounds. They don't work. What happened? Uh, uh, praise God that at White Oak Baptist Church, this church has had three men of God who know the Bible and have rightly divided the Scripture. And when someone within the church has stood up with a doctrine that's been false, it's been squelched. Praise God for men and women in the church who know the Bible really well. And if anyone around them were to stand up with a doctrine that was false, the people in the church will squelch it. Uh, more than once, uh, probably twice in my pastorate, I have said something that has been 
wrong, factually wrong on a minor level. Not a major doctrine, a minor level. And before I can even get out of the auditorium, I'm getting yanked to the side. Pastor, right here. You know why? Because you all know your Bible. Praise God for that. Can I tell you how this happens with churches? You have someone who looks real suave and smiles real good and uh, has a lot of money for pull and uh, for for pull, not pool, but pull. And uh, they they're able to speak eloquently and they're able to itch ears. They're able to say what needs to be said and uh, in a way that's convincing. And what happens? They persuade people away from true doctrine. How many pastors take over an independent fundamental Baptist church and in 10 years they make the church into a Calvinistic church? Or they'll change the version of the Bible or they, 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 they lead the church from being a church that's holy and separated into a church that's more of a Laodicean style church. And we must be careful not to be persuaded by people who look the part but mix error into the truth and slowly but carefully lead us away. You all know the illustration of the frog in the pot of water that slowly gets turned up and the frog ends up getting cooked. That's exactly how an apostate who's good at his job works. He starts with 99% truth and 1% error. And over time, he he ups the ante with the error until he has cooked his crowd. Letter C, notice provocation. Provocation. Another word would be temptation. Uh, look with me at Uh, Let's see, Matthew chapter number 26. should just be a couple pages over there. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 14. Some become, some apostates are revealed through persecution. Some apostates are revealed through persuasion. Now please understand, all of these people who fall away from the truth, they were masquerading as someone who is saved, but inwardly they were lost. They looked the part of someone who is saved, but inwardly they were not saved. Look at Matthew 26 and look at verse number 14. The Bible says there, uh, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What shall ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. What was it that got Judas to reveal that he was an apostate? It was money. It was money. When the money was right, he was willing to say, Okay, I'll give up Jesus. I'll I'll sell him out. Now, it isn't money for everyone. There are different temptations that get different people. Uh, uh, There are all sorts of ideologies that trip people up. i got to say, though, money's a big one. The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of... Of all evil. And I have learned that when somebody's acting in a way that's bizarre and I can't rationalize what they're doing or why they're doing it, if I look behind the curtain, what I'll often find is there's a motive of money that's driving their rare and odd and bizarre behavior. Uh, uh, money is the root of all evil and it is a big reason why people will fall away. They'll fall away. And it, it leads people into being backslidden, but it also reveals an apostate for who he is. Uh, a temptation, provocation. Letter D, notice, procrastination. Turn back over to the book of Hebrews with me and look at chapter 2 and verse number 3. Next to procrastination, you could put in parentheses the word neglect. Neglect. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them 
that heard him. Hey, we had the Lord directly give us the gospel, and then we had the eyewitnesses that walked with the Lord give us the gospel, both in spoken form and in written form, the Word of God. And how do you expect to escape if you're neglecting so great a salvation? Some people, they're going to end up in hell, and it isn't because... It isn't because they didn't want to believe. They just never actually got around to doing it. They heard it, and they pushed it down the road, and they heard it, and they pushed it down the road. And Listen, do you know there's a hundred reasons why people come to church that are not biblical? People come to church for all kinds of wrong reasons. Uh, how many of you have been around church long enough to see someone come to church because they see people and people equal dollar signs? And they're in business, and they can come to church, and, you know, I can get connected into this social fabric and look, all of these people I can make money doing business with. Boy, I've seen it happen over and over again. I've seen people who were in a broken marriage and they came to church to seek out someone to have an affair with. I've seen it happen. Uh, I, I have seen people come to church because they wanted to run for political office and they thought maybe they could get tied into a social fabric and woo over a few more votes to help them win in, in, in social office. That was really funny. One church I was in was a large church in that area. It was the largest church in the area. Uh, it was uh, in Hagerstown, the church I came uh, uh, here prior. We had a politician Sunday. We invited all the local politicians to come. And uh, uh, Pastor King told him, he said, you have 30 seconds to say who you are, what you're running for. He said, I have installed a trap door under this, uh, and it will open. And he said, you think I'm lying? I'm not lying. There is a trap door down there. And when he, he walked away deadpan, I mean, he, he had me wondering if he had installed a trap door. And, and he obviously hadn't. But uh, those guys got up there and, man, uh, my name is this and you got to vote for me. Uh, politicians can be uh, phony, right? But pe- why do pe- people join churches uh, uh, for all sorts of reasons? And listen, they're willing to say all the right things. They're willing to act all the right ways. They're w- willing to learn the lingo. Uh, uh, but they, and, and listen, they're not even necessarily opposed to the gospel. They just keep kicking that ball down the field. And they'll get to it later, kicking the can down the road, and they never end up getting saved. Boy, I believe that God is a patient God. And with a Christian, his patience never runs out. There's a song Pastor Morales may end up singing, but I, I, I learned it, heard it. Uh, actually, he sang it when he was uh, first week when he was up here for the revival. And the song goes that I cannot climb or fall uh, uh, farther than your grace can reach. That's true for a Christian. That is not true for someone who is lost. God's grace, you can run God's grace out if you're lost. Uh, if you're saved, the God's grace is there for you, and you're his child, he never gives up on you. Boy, don't neglect salvation. There may be a day you turn around and... He's taken that off the table as a possibility. Letter A, notice religious preference. Religious preference. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29. You know, it's, it's interesting. And some of you here have family and you'll be able to relate with this so well. Some of you maybe even at one point were this yourself. It, it, is, it is crazy to me the grip that religion puts on people. It grabs them, and they fall in love so deeply with the ritualism and the ceremonialism of that religion that they will not let it go. You can explain to them the gospel to, in a way where they get it, they get it, they get it, but they know that to get saved, they're going to have to walk away for something that has become as much of them as their own hands and feet are. 
And they don't know how to let that go. They have the knowledge of the truth, but they love their religion so much, they reject with their heart. Look at what Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 says. It says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members shall perish, and not that thy whole body shall be cast into hell. How severe is this? The Bible says you're better off cutting out, cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. That's going to keep you out of heaven. Some people, religion has become such a part of them, it is as difficult as plucking out their own eye. But they're apostate. They know the truth, but they're not willing to break away. Let's quickly finish here. Number four, notice the contempt of apostasy. The contempt of apostasy. For someone uh, who is truly an apostate, they... Um, uh, they re- end up rejecting either in word or action, either in word or action, not always both, either in word or action, all three parts of the Trinity. Notice letter A, a rejection of God the Father. Now, because of time, I'm not going to turn to all these passages, but in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we find the baptism of Jesus, and God endorses Jesus. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, God elevates Jesus up and says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, uh, in fact, go back over to Hebrews chapter 10 with me, if you will. Um, uh, back in, 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 in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. What am I getting at? To reject the Son is also to reject the Father. In my study of, of, of First John, I've done a lot of background study and preparation for our Sunday evening series. In my study of First John and all the reading of it I've done, one thing has become clear, and that is this. The author of First John almost blurs the line between who God the Father and God the Son are. Not that they're not two separate entities, but he sees them as being on such an equal plane that to deny one is to deny the other. And so if you reject Jesus and his gift of salvation, God says, the Father says, you're also flat out rejecting me. You can't reject the Son and have the Father. No, no, no. To reject the Son is to reject the Father. Look at verse number 29. Hebrews 10, uh, uh, verse 29. Uh, Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye uh, 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 shall he be thought worthy... Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. So to reject the Son is to reject the Father. Letter B, notice, a rejection of God the Son. A rejection of God the Son. Uh, look back at verse number 29. I'm going to point out something to you that I was very confused on and, and really had to do some digging to get here. It says, uh, there, let me keep reading. Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Now, here's the question. If this person has been sanctified then how can they be unsanctified? That really threw me for a loop. But then I, I looked at this, that he, I don't believe, is speaking about the, the person who's doing the rejecting, that he is the Son of God. You, you say, well, did Jesus need to be sanctified? Jesus himself said he needed to be sanctified. Turn quickly over with me to John chapter number 17. John 17. John 17, verse 17 gets quoted all the time. Sanctify, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Look at verse 19. Jesus is praying to the Father here. This is an intense prayer. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. 
I sanctify myself. So back in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 29, the he there in the, that verse is not the, the, the person that's rejecting the gospel. Uh, and, and this isn't someone becoming unsanctified. This is Jesus talking about uh, being sanctified. Again, look at it with me in context. Who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he, Jesus, was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So, this is someone who has rejected the God the Father, because he has rejected God the Son, let her see, notice, a rejection of God the Spirit. And the verse ends, and hath done despite, hath done, uh, 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 hath, hath done wrong by the Spirit of grace. So this is someone who has rejected uh, the Spirit of grace. By the way, uh, this Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, I'm, I'm out of time, but Matthew chapter 12, 31 and 32, it talks about someone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, and Matthew 12, 31 and 32, someone who blasphemes the Spirit of God, and, uh, and there, there remaineth no more sacrifice of sin. There, they cannot be saved. Uh, the salvation gift has been taken off the table for them. What Hebrews 10 is explaining is the same thing here uh, as Matthew 12. How is it that you reject the Spirit of grace? You reject the Spirit of grace because it is, it is the Spirit of God who comes to us and says, I want to take the blood of Jesus and I want to cleanse your sins away. And we look at the Spirit of God and we say, no. And you go blaspheming the Spirit of God. That's not words. That's an action. That's I know the truth. I understand the gospel. I know he died for me. I, I feel the conviction and I feel the spirit of grace drawing me to salvation and I flat out reject. And the Bible says in Matthew, Jesus said that is blaspheming the spirit of God. You can get away with taking God's name in vain and still get saved. You can even get away with blaspheming the name of Jesus and get saved. You cannot blaspheme the spirit. And be saved. I don't know where that line is. And I believe that line might even be a little bit different for each person. But I know this. You don't want to mess around with fire. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? You don't want to play with fire. And so I would say this evening, do not be an apostate. Furthermore, remember what First John tells us. They went out from us because they were not of us. For had they been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out from us because they were not of us. When someone leaves... Um, pray for them. If they're backslidden, pray they come back to the Lord. If they're lost, pray for them to get saved. But by all means, don't be pharisaical and hypocritical or self-righteous. Uh, be burdened and be humble and pray. Okay, let's stand to be dismissed this evening. I hope that uh, thoroughly explains what an apostate is. Don't be one. If you are one, get saved. Amen?